Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. With tens of thousands of Americans and our allies still stranded in Afghanistan and a looming deadline, evacuations from Kabul International Airport are growing increasingly desperate. Meanwhile, the defense bureaucrats seem unwilling to answer even the most basic questions about efforts to get U.S. citizens home safely. We'll have the latest on the administration's incompetence in Afghanistan on Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. Keeps getting worse, it seems, every day because the clock is running out. And we know there are thousands of Americans right now on the ground in Afghanistan. Perhaps 5, 10, 15,000. We don't really know. They can't tell you what the actual number is. And they don't know if they'll get them all out. But let's first look at what the deadline is to get them out. New York Post headline today, Taliban demand all foreign forces are out by August 31st deadline. Now, this is the terrorist organization, the Taliban, telling us, you better get everybody out or else we don't know, but there will be consequences. Reuters, meanwhile, going along with the Biden administration lane, uh, line that Biden is sticking to the August 31st Afghan pullout so long as the Taliban cooperate. So Biden is sticking to what the Taliban has demanded in an or else situation. That's also known as the Taliban calling the shots. And that's what's actually happening here. That's what's going on, despite the fact that the White House wants to pretend that this was some kind of a negotiation among peers or people that are operating in the uh, Taliban side in good faith. Sure, we'll keep the 31st deadline. Yes, because the Taliban said you have to. No choice in this. Meanwhile, Reuters writes that the UK's Johnson says the G7 agreed the Taliban must allow departures after August 31st, okay? The Taliban must allow departures after August 31st. So the, the G7 is seeming to push back more on the Taliban deadline situation than the U.S. government is. To give you a sense of what the Biden administration is and is not really willing to do. Just bizarre. Meanwhile, Defense Department spokesman John Kirby, I mentioned before, how many Americans are currently in Afghanistan. That's an important thing to know if you're committed to getting every single one of them out. But John Kirby doesn't seem to know that answer. What is your assessment now as to the number that, the, the, that have gotten out of Afghanistan? And do you think you can get all of them out? I think I answered the second part of that. For, I think, I think, we, I think uh, for all Americans who want to leave, uh, the State Department is working very hard to contact them, and, and we are getting them out every day. Um, uh, and and that, that's not going to change. Uh, I, I'm, and I, I understand the question about the specific detail. I would just tell you that 
several thousand, we know, several thousand uh, Americans have been safely evacuated from Afghanistan. I understand that's not the degree of specificity that you want, but that is as far as I'm going to be able to go today, several thousand. Okay. Seems like they don't really know. Maybe they're trying to pretend now it's an operational security matter or something like that, but no, they just don't have an answer for the question. Meanwhile, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, who it's amazing this guy still has a job, hasn't resigned. Wouldn't you think that the National Security Advisor, who has been the most visible person on this whole Afghan debacle, would say, you know what, I'm not up for this? Well, of course not. There's no accountability in the senior level White House positions, especially when you're a Democrat who is well entrenched within the apparatus, within the system. But he's going even a step further than some people could imagine here because not only is he evading accountability with all of this, he is also claiming that there's some pride that they take in the fact that only America would be able to pull this off, he's saying now. Hmm. How do you think the world is looking at the United States right now? So on the second question, uh, you look at the scenes of the Kabul airport, and what I see is the United States securing an airfield at the risk of several thousand American troops to facilitate not just the evacuation of Americans, but to facilitate the evacuation of third country nationals from friends and foes alike, and to facilitate the evacuation of tens and thousands of people who, for humanitarian reasons, want to leave Afghanistan. This is an enormous logistical, diplomatic, security, humanitarian undertaking. There is no other country in the world who could pull something like this off. Wow, Jake, I guess we should give you a round of applause for scrambling to try to make this disaster slightly less disastrous. I, I suppose that's the pitch now from this White House. It, it could always be worse is now the foreign policy and national security mantra of the Biden administration, because what else are they going to say? It's not good. It's a disaster. We can all see how incompetent this whole situation was. But I guess it could be worse, and certainly it could, if the Taliban decides that they're going to keep Americans from leaving that country under threat of force. That starts to sound like a hostage situation. Year one of the Biden presidency, we may have hundreds, perhaps even thousands of Americans who are de facto hostages after that August 31st deadline passes. Now, I know the White House right now would say, oh, but that's not fair because it hasn't come and gone yet as a deadline. So they're doing everything that they can. Okay, but can the National Security Advisor actually commit to Joe Biden making sure that they will stay in that airport, that U.S. forces will stay, keep that airport, and make sure there is a means of egress from Taliban-controlled Afghanistan until every American is out. Will they commit to that? Well, here's what he said. Has the president decided whether he is going to need more time beyond August 31st to get all U.S. personnel and Afghan people out of the country? As I said, the president believes we are making substantial progress. Dozens of flights, thousands now, tens of thousands of people evacuated from the country. We believe today will be an efficient and effective day and tomorrow and the next day as well. And as I said, he is taking this day by day and will make his determinations as we go. Yeah, so we'll see what they're able to do. That's the best that you can get from them. Uh, what's the plan, by the way? Is, is there some brilliant, highly efficient 
new mechanism or new procedure that the Biden administration has put in place in order to make sure that we get these stranded, and yes, despite what Jen Psaki says, that is the word, these stranded Americans out of Afghanistan? Well, no, actually, from what we understand, sure, they're operating the flights, but how do you get Americans to the airport? Secretary of State Blinken telling everybody, well, good luck, every man for himself getting to that airport. Go back a week. The government fell. Uh, and by the way, I was on the phone with, with President Karzai the day before <laughs> when he was telling me his intent as he put it to fight to the death. Well, the next day he was gone. Huh. The best way to do it is to get there yourself. Right. Meanwhile, French, British, other foreign national, uh, other, other third countries nationals are being evacuated by their country's militaries. But ours can't figure that out in the Biden administration. They won't get the order to do it. Huh. All right, we'll come back to this. Americans aren't the only ones desperately trying to leave Afghanistan. The lives of thousands of Afghan nationals who supported U.S. efforts in that country are also hanging in the balance as the clock ticks down to the August 31st deadline. Coming up, we'll be joined by former interpreter Amadella Siddiqui for an update on the plight of America's forgotten allies. But right now, I want you to talk, uh, I want to talk to you rather about the most important asset you own, your home. I mean, how much equity do you have in your home? 50,000, 100,000, more? Cybercrime experts are alerting homeowners that the more equity you have, the greater the chance foreign and domestic criminals will come after you. Home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes out there. In fact, Home Title Lock, America's leader in home title protection, is alerting homeowners they could already be a victim and not know it. Here's how it goes down. First, cyber thieves search hundreds of public databases for high equity homes. Next, they pull your home's online title, forge your signature stating you sold your home, and take out loans using your equity. You're not covered by insurance, your bank, or common identity theft programs. Protect your most valuable asset. Register your address now to see if you're already a victim and receive a complete title history of your home, a $100 value free. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. Tragic news for Afghan nationals attempting to leave Afghanistan. A spokesman for the Taliban announced today that Afghans will no longer be allowed to travel to Kabul International Airport, essentially cutting off the only means of escape for thousands of America's allies and their families. So what's next for Afghanistan's special immigration visa holders? Joining me now is a former Afghan interpreter and advocate for SIV recipients, Amadullah Siddiqui. Amadullah, thanks for being with us. It's a pleasure, sir. First, what are you hearing from your friends, colleagues, people you know on the ground right now in Kabul and around Afghanistan? Are they actively being prevented by the Taliban from getting to the airport? What is the situation on the ground? Well, you all know that Afghanistan is uh, one of the countries, the only country on the planet with no president, no prisoners, and you don't know who is who. And even you, you are being killed all in, even for, for, for some amount of dollars or, or money anywhere. Uh, but yes, hundreds of, uh, of our citizens, our green card holders and our allies have been waiting uh, outside the airport for days and hours to be in, even though they have their all documentations ready, but they are not able to get in. So I don't know why it's going on. The French and the other British coalition forces, they can go out and get their allies in, but why we can't? As one of the, the powerful country we are, as there's no doubt in it, I don't know why we can't go in and get our allies out. The Taliban, of course, is publicly denying that they are targeting 
Afghans, including interpreters who helped American military forces during the war. Uh, have, have you heard stories firsthand, or rather people that have dealt with this firsthand have told you things that make it clear the Taliban is lying? Well, even in, in 1996, uh, uh, they were, you know, they said the same thing. They, they were not, they were one of the best people on the planet, but y'all watched, we have witnessed that they never changed. They are the same people. So we have heard a lot, even a few days back, they killed two of our interpreters. They go door to door and, and kill our allies and, and torture them. We how, do they, how do they know, well, I mean, how are they figuring out who worked with the Americans? Is it just by, you know, by reputation? They essentially go around and ask people if someone, someone did that? I mean, how are they tracking down who, who, did, uh, who, who did help Americans fight against them in, the, in previous years? Well, they have people. They have insiders that, and, and they, they ask people. They are watching. They, they are not the Taliban of like 20 years back. They are people who, who are already been equipped with technologies they know. Their mentality never changes, but they're, you know, they're well educated with all the technologies and, and everything else. They know everything. They so, go behind you and never leave you. So have, have any SIV uh, recipients been able to flee to neighboring countries in considerable numbers? Is that an option for those who can't get through at the airport? So first of all, you, you cannot, there are, there are no commercial flights. But if you were one of those people who got re, who received any letter or some any call from the embassy, you were being evacuated to one of the U.S. territories. But I mean, what about neighbor? Is there is there any way to get out that doesn't involve flying out? Are, are people able to try to get across to say Iran or uh, you know Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, any of these places? Is that possible? So. You, it's not like early years that there were borders open. 1990s, when the the civil war and the other wars, so the door the, the borders were open. But right now, all the door the the borders are closed. You cannot go anywhere unless you stay and die. Are you aware of any contingency plans to evacuate SIV recipients, given the increase in government focus and Biden administration, the White House looking at this a lot more now? Are are they trying to do things in a way that's better, that's likely to ramp up the amount of uh, SIV, app, uh, SIV recipients who are supposed to get out? I mean, essentially, do they have a plan for this? Well, uh, this could have, you know, done already. The, the, the administration could have done this like years back. We have had this, this program for years now, but imagine this, we left the country without, you know, letting everybody, we left the country and, and, and we didn't bring our allies home. Now we, you know, if we look at the expenses, you know, and, and these people in our forces go back all the way while the country is being controlled by somebody else. And, and imagine this, I couldn't understand. They could have done it years back. So now we, you know, we, we asked the president, please send experts and extend the, the 31st August is nothing. We, it's a short period of time and we have thousands of allies living in there. And, and if you don't bring them in, they, they, are, they already feel some sort of betrayal. What do you think is gonna happen here? I mean, we only have a week based on the current deadline of August 31st to get out uh, the Afghan allies, the SIV recipients and others who we are 
supposed to be obligated to get out, is there any chance in your mind that they're going to, to pretty much get everybody or even a majority of the Afghan SIV applicants out of the country within a week? So first of all, it was a mess. From the day one, it was a mess. You don't know who came with these evacuations. I'm not against any anybody, but we don't know who are being you know brought to on this evacuation process. There might be looters. There might be any other sort of people. So the actual people who have worked, who have sacrificed, they they're leaving behind. You know they they already left behind. And with this limit of time, I don't think they bring all our allies home. So there are other families, you know, their their mom, their dad, their parents who work with U.S. forces, but they died, you know, due to working with the U.S. military, U.S. forces, but their kids are still behind. There are families like my family. So I have worked. I was asked when I was there. I was asked for a mission and I was ready to go. So now I feel a sense of betrayal here that my family, my siblings are still in Afghanistan and, and not only me, but there are thousands of other friends and folks who have worked with us, but they left behind. Amadullah, you are helping Afghans, new arrivals uh, who have been part of this evacuation process in Texas. Just how, how is that going and, and what are you seeing from the people that are making it out into this country, you know, how are they doing? So there are different sort of, when, when they are being evacuated here, uh, they are going through some process in order to, to check their status. And once their status is being identified, then they are going to be their final destinations. And so what, what's done then to, to help them get situated, acclimated? I mean, is there, once they get out, assuming they're able to get out of Afghanistan, these are people that have made it out, uh, what processes are in place to help them you know, live lives here in America. Is that is that pretty well established or are we figuring that out still too? So they are pretty much established here. Once they're, you know, they're out of Afghanistan, they're being uh, evacuated or, or sent to one of the youth territories, maybe Qatar, Germany, or, or one of those territories. After, you know, staying there for a while, they're, they're being brought here to the States and they have some sort of you know, vetting process here in their processing. Once their processing being done, they're going to be sent to their final destinations and there are some resettlement agencies who are ready to help. Amadella, just quickly, how can Americans who want to help, help? So, uh, the Americans should, as always, I said that they should, you know, force, they should send emails to their senators, congressmen, and to Mr. President and to to expedite the process and extend the uh, the amount of time that we have. Even we need this to be, we need to evacuate the very last person, the very last person who has worked with us in Afghanistan, who has sacrificed, who has put his or her life at risk for us. We need to stay there as long as, you know, we need, they need us. And All also right. there's a moral obligation to Mr. Biden that, you know, he should, he must take immediate action to ensure that the way the U.S. leaves Afghanistan does not become a permanent stain on his legacy and America's legacy. Amadella, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. It's a pleasure, sir. President Biden is urging private businesses to implement vaccine requirements as a condition for service. Caroline Levitt, candidate for Congress in New Hampshire's first district, is a vocal opponent of vaccine mandates. She'll join us with her perspective when we return. 
First, I want to talk to you about my friends at My Digital Money. Everybody feels like these days wants to get into Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these cryptocurrencies out there. Many of us don't know how to get started. That's where My Digital Money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. One of the few U.S.-based cryptocurrency companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. And because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7, a play money account so you can test the market without risking your money, and the crypto market is really heating up these days, this could be a great time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with Caroline Levitt. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Today I'm calling on more country, more companies, I should say, in the private sector to step up with vaccine requirements that'll reach millions more people. If you're a business leader, a nonprofit leader, a state or local leader who has been waiting for full FDA approval to require vaccinations, I call on you now to do that. Require it. Remember when they said they didn't want to do this? They weren't going to do this? Because I do. But just like everyone else and everything else we've been told over the course of this pandemic, we know it's all lies, lies, and more lies. Democrats have just totally thrown out basic medical freedom, and now Biden wants companies to mandate vaccines for all employees. So what's next? Here with reaction, former Trump White House Assistant Press Secretary and America First candidate for Congress in New Hampshire's first congressional district, Caroline Levitt. Caroline, thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Buck. What do you think about the demands from the Biden administration for private companies to do the dirty work of making sure that you get vaccinated or else? Well, first of all, that clip you just showed, Biden is once again stumbling and bumbling over his words. He's making no sense. But what he's saying makes no sense. He has no credibility, and I am absolutely adamantly opposed to private companies, to schools, mandating vaccinations and mask mandates, by the way, on the American people. There has never been a constitutional basis, a legal basis for this, or a scientific basis for this argument. It is all about power. It's all about control. We're seeing it right here in my home state of New Hampshire, where I am running for Congress. Private companies are doing this. School boards are voting in favor of mask mandates for kids. Again, the science is not there, but also, what happened to personal responsibility and individual liberty in this country? The Biden administration is trampling all over it. Where do you think this is going next? If the private companies don't do the full bidding of the federal government of the Biden administration on this, do you think that they'll try something that has already been floated out there, like a ban on the unvaccinated engaging in interstate travel, at least when it comes to planes and trains? I mean, do you think that the Biden administration is going to get even more totalitarian in their approach to making you get the vax. Oh, of course. 
They said they would never implement vaccine passports or mandate them and look at the state of New York right now. You can't even go into a restaurant if you're not vaccinated. I mean, that is so un-American. If we just take a step back and put this in perspective, you cannot go out to eat with your family in some states in our country right now, our free United States of America, if you don't get a shot that the vaccine is the government is requiring you to get, which by the way, some of which, most of which are not even fully approved by the government. We're basically guinea pigs for them and for their scientific project right now. We're gonna look back in time, I believe, at this at this whole pandemic and think it was just one big bad science experiment that Dr. Fauci has been leading the way on. I've been calling for his resignation. We need an investigation into everything that he has done over the past the course of the past year. Um, but he is leading the way on this and Biden is just following suit. That is why we need patriots across the country who care about freedom, who care about individual liberty, who care about medical freedom to stand up. Now is the time. I've been joining parents at school board meetings across the state of New Hampshire to demand that our kids are not forced to be vaccinated or forced to wear masks at school this year. Uh, there is a private company here in New Hampshire, Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center, that is forcing their employees to get vaccinated. I know many nurses and frontline workers there who, by the way, were not vaccinated during the pandemic and risk their lives to care for patients during the, uh, the heat of it. The company said nothing then, but now the science, there's no science for it. And now they're mandating the vaccine on them now and actually forcing them to quit their jobs or firing them if they don't comply. It's absolute madness. We are going down a very dark path. We need leaders to stand up in our communities, whether it's for school board or running for Congress. Now is the time or we are going to lose all of our individual liberties before we know it. You mentioned Dr. Fauci, who anybody who watches this show or has heard my radio show for the last 18 months or so knows, I think, is the most destructive bureaucrat in the history of the United States. Uh, here he is massively moving the goalposts once again. Play it. If we could do that with the people who have been infected, get them revaccinated, the people who are unvaccinated now, that 90 million people, get them vaccinated, I think we can get a degree of overall blanket protection of the community that as we get into the early part of 2022, getting through the winter, which could be complicated by influenza, by respiratory syncytial virus, that as we get into the spring, we could start getting back to a degree of normality. Getting back to a degree, a degree of normality in the spring of 2022, Caroline, my head explodes every time I see this little tyrant on television. I, I didn't even understand how anyone could see him and say that they're going to listen to a word he says. Oh, he is the biggest fraud, arguably, in America right now, other than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They are the top three for sure. But he's a deep state doctor. Look, he was in on this from the very beginning. We know he funded the gain-of-function research that took place in the Wuhan lab. We know he knew about the origins of the COVID-19 virus since the beginning. That's why he tried to cover it up. He was undermining President Trump every step of the way when I was there working in the White House for him. He's an absolute fraud. He needs to be investigated. We know that will never happen under Biden's regime and as long as Pelosi is controlling Congress. But you're right, they're moving the goalposts again. For what? What are the metrics? There aren't any. There has never been any. They want us in this lockdown state forever. COVID is not going away. We cannot eradicate it with the vaccine, no matter how hard we try. That's why we're seeing 
vaccinated people get the virus again. And again, look, if you want to go and get the vaccine, be my guest. But Fauci and his cronies, including Biden, do not have the right to tell me or any other American that we have to go get it or we're out of work. Absolutely not. I will not stand for that. And I am running a very strong message in my campaign in New Hampshire right now because my future constituents are being affected by this madness and we need to stand up and fight it. Biden isn't just pushing shots on people, and they're going to push them on everyone's kids, by the way. Bill de Blasio is mm -hmm. already saying that quiet part out loud, but they're going to want six-year-olds, seven-year-olds to get the COVID vaccination or else they can't go to school, they can't see their friends, they can't do anything. Biden also wants to mask up kids, even though the science, and even a New York Magazine writer who compiled all this admitted it in a recent piece, says that mm -hmm. masking kids doesn't do anything, but here's the president of the United States saying otherwise. Cases among children are still rare, and severe cases among children are very, very rare. But I know that parents are thinking about their own kids. It's not as reassuring as anyone would like it to be. So let me say this as parents, to the parents. As you have, you have the tools. You have the tools to keep your child safer, and two of those tools, above all, are available to you. One, make sure that everyone around your child who can be vaccinated, is vaccinated. Parents, adults, teens. Two, make sure your child is masked when they leave home. Make sure your child is masked. As if that does anything other than create anxiety and discomfort for millions of children across America. It is so deeply infuriating. Look, back in July 2020, when I was working at the White House, we put together a roundtable with President Trump. We had teachers there, we had students there, we had parents there, we had medical experts there who all said, our kids need to be in school. The radical repercussions, the dangerous consequences of them being out of school for more than a year are going to affect them for generations to come. And of course, we saw, especially in Democrat-run cities and states across the country, they did not listen to that advice. They're still not listening to that advice to this day. Now we are seeing people floating the idea of maybe children having to do Zoom school again, stare at their computers like zombies. No, and now we are seeing mask mandates implemented in my home state of New Hampshire. Like I said, I went to a school board meeting to stand with the parents last week. The radical Democrats in the school board voted seven to two in favor of the mask mandate, even though there were children there who bravely stood up. I was so proud of them. It literally brought me to tears, who said, please don't make me wear this thing again. I can't breathe at, at school. This is torture. I have anxiety. I go home every night. I have headaches. My ears are hurting. My speech impediment is getting worse. This is all about power. Who are these people to say, whether it's their school board or Joe Biden again, or Fauci, to say that parents don't know their child best? There is no scientific evidence. Again, the hospitalization rate for children 18 and under is 0.16. 0.16, the hospitalization rate, the death rate is even lower. And we're still going to force them to wear masks at school. It's crazy, Carolyn. It, it's absolutely nuts. But we're going to have to continue on this fight and have you back another time to uh, bring the truth to the folks. Thanks again, and good luck to you in the upcoming race. Thank you so much, Buck. CarolineForCongress.com. That's Carolyn with a K if your viewers are interested in supporting me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. It's hard to believe, but it's been a year since the riot that devastated Kenosha, Wisconsin, in the wake of the death of 29-year-old Jacob Blake. Coming up here, the writer for The Federalist, Evita Duffy, joins us to discuss a community that's still struggling to pick up the pieces. But I want to tell you about a great opportunity. If you ever thought about investing in real estate, I want you to take me up on this recommendation right now. 
Visit doneforyoubuck.com where you can learn more about my friends at Done For Your Real Estate. If you haven't checked them out yet, let me make this easy for you. These guys have found a way to make real estate investing straightforward and their system flat out works. I know because I'm using it. It allows everyday hardworking Americans like you and me to finally own investment real estate without all the risk and difficulty of doing it on your own. I can't tell you in strong enough terms during the 60 second commercial how important it is you check these guys out. So how about this? If you visit doneforyoubuck.com, at the top of the page is a podcast interview I did with Done For Your Real Estate, where you can hear my personal experience with their company in my own words. I'll tell you about it in detail, from picking the city, the house, getting the broker, the loan, even getting a tenant in place so I get cash flow coming to me every month. Visit doneforyoubuck.com, listen to the podcast interview, and give my friends a chance to show you what they can do for you. We'll be back with more Hold The Line. Kenosha, Wisconsin grabbed national attention last August after Jacob Blake was shot by police, sparking violent riots in the streets that included the looting of stores and the burning of buildings. Still one year later, the city is picking up the pieces. Evita Duffy published a piece for The Federalist in which she writes, The results of this rhetoric included two deaths and lasting trauma in a middle-income Midwestern city after ensuing riots that caused $50 million in property damage. This week, when the corporate media publishes reflection pieces to commemorate the one-year anniversary of the Kenosha riots, keep in mind their goal is to rewrite history and exonerate the politicians and race hucksters responsible for the violence. Evita is with me on today's show here to discuss the ongoing situation in Kenosha and the challenges that it continues to face. Evita, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So uh, let, let's start here. You. Uh, interviewed uh, a boy, a young African-American boy in Kenosha, and, and here's what he said about the situation. When I went over the footage and I saw how Jacob Blake, you know what I'm saying, G, went like this from the cop and then he went to his car and grabbed something, you know, as an officer, you know what I'm saying, I probably would have been a little scared too, but the way he went to his car, it did kind of seem like he was going to grab something. You know what I'm saying? Do I feel like they could have shot him in the leg? Shot him in the leg? Yes. I feel like that situation could have been handled totally different. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, what can we do? We're leaving it in God's hands. None of us was there, and we don't really know what happened. So what has happened to the city of Kenosha? Let's start with that. So, I mean, the city has... It First of all, they've been resilient, uh, of course. That there was, you know, movements to bring everybody together, but... As I return, I was there initially when the riotings happened, when the riots happened, and then I returned a year later, and I could see the physical imprint still left on the city. So in Uptown Kenosha, where that video was filmed, that's where the brunt and the arson and looting happened, and there are still a gaping lots where you know hundred year old buildings once stood. There is you know you know mar marks from burns on on other buildings, and there's still boards up. So it is you know definitely not come back to where it was before the writing. Um, and it's and it's very sad because as you can see, it was it was um, unnecessary. It, people who, you know, believe sit like, like the person in that video who actually say there is racism in Kenosha Police Department saw the video and said, yeah, I don't really feel like the officer was in the wrong here. Um, and so that's just how sad and unnecessary all of it was. Do we have any sense as to how uh, crime has been in Kenosha since this happened? Has there been a, a Ferguson effect of law enforcement feeling like they're not able to do their jobs and so there's a, a uh, spike in crimes of, of, of particularly violent nature? Do we know? Have, have we seen that data? 
So from talking to individuals there, I haven't seen data, but I know that the the business owners that I talked to said that they felt like since the rioting, crime has been on the rise in Kenosha. And there is an ongoing problem actually with the Kenosha Police Department not having enough funding um, to, to handle the city and especially handle the, you know, the thousands of, of riders who came in um, during during the Jacob Blake shoot in the post Jacob Blake shooting. So I mean, it, it's it was already bad, and and obviously it was really horrible a year ago, and they still haven't recovered. So that's how ironic these defund the police um, calls have been. I want to go back to the interview you had with that uh, young African American uh, uh, man who who was talking to you about his feelings uh, about Kenosha and what's happened there. Here's what he said. This is to hear a young African American like that on the street talking about all lives matter. As we know, some uh, on the left get very upset whenever somebody says all lives matter. Did you get a sense from talking to people in Kenosha that uh, there's been a, a change in, in thinking that's pretty widespread about the BLM movement specifically and what it actually does to a place like Kenosha, Wisconsin? Absolutely. That man is a Kenoshan. He saw what the rioting did to his city. And it's also indicative of how ridiculous all of these BLM riots have been. Because obviously, if you go through the Jacob Blake footage, you know that this was a justified police shooting as as unfortunate as it was, it was justified. And so, you know, you have people who look at the footage, people who live in Kenosha, they survey the situation, they say, you know what, this is not what the corporate media and what leftist politicians are making out to be. And in the end, the people who are responsible for what happened in Kenosha are the race hucksters, are the corporate media, are people like Tony Evers and Joe Biden who came to Kenosha to incite this rage that tore the city apart. They are the ones responsible and people are waking up and seeing you know, who is really at fault here. I know we have, uh, you've got these pictures that are up here of, of closed storefronts, uh, buildings that have been destroyed. And I, I'm, I have a feeling, I, mean, I have a feeling that this is not something that you're seeing a lot of the national media covering. Uh, do, you, do you think that going forward, there's a way that we can get the word out so that people understand, Evita, that this is what can happen in a city where the BLM narrative is embraced for a short period of time? It just leaves destruction and misery. Right. So that this is exactly what the corporate media did. They came in, they reported on it, they got people really excited and, you know, generated this this movement for outsiders to come into Kenosha to destroy the city. A year later, when they're still trying to pick up the pieces, they aren't reporting on it. They don't care. They're done. The story's over. We got what we wanted out of it. We got these headlines um, and we are, you know, pushing social change. We're done. Um, and, and the reality is we need more journalists with an iPhone camera to walk around and go to these places and actually do the job that the legacy media cannot and will not do. Avita, thank you for your work on this. Appreciate you joining us and uh, shedding some light on what's really going on. Thanks for having me. It says a lot when the U.S. Secretary of State mistakenly refers to ousted Afghan President Ghani as Hamid Karzai, who left office in 2014. We'll show you the live TV blunder right after the uh, break here. But first, it feels like cryptocurrency is really hot again, right? People are getting excited about it. And that's why the CEO of Noble Gold, Colin Plume, decided to create My Digital Money. 
This is an easy-to-use self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. They offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or losses without watching your account constantly, and a play money account so you can test the market without risking your money. With the recent pullback of most of the major cryptocurrencies, this might be the best time to get into this exciting, exciting technology-based investment. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals that have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not just a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. Quick hits are up next. This week keeps getting worse for Andrew Cuomo. After resigning yesterday, the disgraced former governor was stripped of his Emmy Award. Oh, boo-hoo, break out the world's smallest violin. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's anti-American comments got him dropped from a bodybuilding sponsor. Let's get into it on Quick Kids. In fact, let's actually start with this one. Competency for the Biden administration uh, is not looking so good right now, right? Feels like Biden's team, people around him, the handlers, the advisors, whomever, not exactly getting it done, given what's happening in Afghanistan and a host of other issues as well. Secretary of State Blinken is the kind of guy who has a lot of fancy-sounding places on his resume, but whenever you see him, listen to him, you think, this guy is a lightweight. It's not somebody that you would think should be in charge of anything important, not somebody with great wisdom or leadership capabilities or decision-making that others should defer to. So what exactly is really going on here? Well, here is uh, Blinken, who is confusing the current, or I should say, most recently departed, as in left the country with $160 million in cash in a helicopter, you know, third world tin pot dictatorship style, departed from the country with the former president of the country from seven years ago. Here he is. Go back a week. The government fell. Uh, and by the way, I was on the phone with, with President Karzai the day before, when he was telling me his intent as he put it to fight to the death. Well, the next day he was gone. The military collapsed. Yeah, it wasn't Karzai, it was Ashraf Ghani. Look, I know that you say, okay, anyone can make a mistake, fine. But, you know, can they get some of the basic things like that right? He didn't correct himself either, which felt very strange. Um, the people around Biden are not able to keep this train on the tracks any more so than bumbling, stumbling Joe, it seems, will when it comes to foreign policy. That's clear. Governor Cuomo is no longer Governor Cuomo. He's just uh, Andrew Cuomo, now disgraced former governor, in fact, somebody who, as uh, many of us thought all along, I was not one of them, of course. I thought he was going to stay in office and fight against all these allegations with the stubbornness and viciousness that he's known for, but people thought he was going to be gone. He is gone. But let's not forget that for a long time, he was a celebrated hero of the left, somebody who was getting multi-seven-figure book deals and talked about as a possible Democrat presidential entrant in the very late stages of the primary in 2020. Here he is, though, getting the Emmy taken away. Here's a, uh, from the International Academy of Television, Arts, and Sciences. The International Academy announced that in light of the New York Attorney General's report, Cuomo's resignation, it is rescinding his special 2020 International Emmy Award. His name and any reference to receiving the award will be limited from, from materials going forward. Oh, man, what a rough one for the governor. Former Governor Andrew Cuomo, a tough one for him. And uh, we all know, well-deserved the toughness that he is going through right now because this is a guy who didn't even get held to account for the single 
worst thing that he did while governor, which was the decision to send COVID positive patients back into nursing homes. Yeah, that was something that cost lives. This wasn't just uh, comments that seemed creepy and out of place to subordinates. Speaking of comments that are out of place uh, or just dumb, former governor, again, uh, former governor here, Arnold Schwarzenegger, governor of California back in the day, he has had a sponsor drop him over his anti-masker rant. Redcon One has dropped Arnold Schwarzenegger, the spokesperson, over his recent rant against anti-maskers, saying we elected to him uh, to discontinue support due to Arnold's screw your freedoms comment with the global influence Arnold holds. We find that ideology dangerous and anti-American. They are also pulling out of the Schwarzenegger bodybuilding event ne next month. Nice. Some sponsors taking action in favor of freedom. Isn't that a good thing to see? Doesn't that make us all feel a little bit better about the, uh, well, a little bit better about the future of the country? Right now, it's feeling kind of bleak considering the uh, mask, lockdown, vax mandate lunatics are running the asylum known as America these days because people have completely lost their minds. Dr. Fauci is still treated with deference on TV. People act like this guy is someone that anybody should listen to, which is terrifying. All right. That's it for tonight's Quick Hits, for tonight's Hold the Line. In fact, the No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. She'll